This podcast is a member of WGPRN. WildGamesProductions.com WildGamesProductions.com You burst through the door, you find a small room filled with golden jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Say, or die! Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring all your goblin holes and band of oaks, hawking zombies and bows, and all your little trains don't or die. Down to what again? Here we are. Again? What again? Save or Die? Oh my, we're getting in a rush. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Yeah. The pre-North Texas RPG Con show. If it comes out before then. Well... That does not change the fact that it's being recorded before North Texas RPG Con. Fair enough. Oh, which I'll just be happy to show up at in one piece at this point. Me too. You'll be and fine. As usual, it's DM Mike. And with me is the person who reminds me that I introduce everyone else rather than having them introduce themselves, DM Jim. I'm rolling 20s. Oh, sorry. Stuck in the theme song. <laughs> DM Glenn. Oh, what, what, Jim, Jim, like, cracks a whip on you or something, or? What? No. You, you must, you must. Starting the commercial. Oh, I'm sorry. You must wow, introduce everybody. Wow, tornado, and he's totally lost. We were, we were, we were taping for the commercial, and I was trying to get everybody to introduce themselves at, you know, Zazzy. Yeah. Zazzy? Zazzy. Gotta be Zazzy. Zazzy. There was the normal and the Zazzy. And, of course, in the background is the adorable Smurfette voice of DM Liz. Hello. Although not as far in the back as I am. And her legion of cobalt minions. My Zazzy cobalt. Zazzy? <laughs> Zazzy? Okay. Cool. I get, yeah, I get stuck sitting with the kobolds. Great. <laughs> They'll treat you right, Glenn. Oh, I don't want to know. I really don't. <laughs> You hide in their warrens to avoid the tornado. You know, you got to pay the piper. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, dude, Oklahoma's like damnation alley this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid Wednesday when I leave, I'm going to be chased out of here by the weather. Yeah, five or six years ago, we had some friends that bought some property in southern Oklahoma, and all they could talk about is how cheap it was and how beautiful it is. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, there's a reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, more is crossed off our uh, where to live list now, officially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what are we doing? And so this time our episode is going to be some judges guild again, but Yay. predominantly because of emails and other things, going to talk mostly Blackmore stuff. Yay! Most notably, the first fantasy campaign. The one will give us some some Judges Guild gems on the way. With a big serving of crow for me to eat. Ooh. But first, what have we been doing this past week? DM Glenn, other than dodging tornadoes. Reading reading this crap inside a storm shelter. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, we, we, yeah, we've, we've had the weather issue, but I, I've been reading that, um, had a basic game a couple weeks ago last week. I don't forget when. Um, did I just kill your character? No, he didn't kill my character. Oh, wow. He got a big, no, actually, the one before, he killed my character, but they raised me. Ah, okay. But he so, didn't kill you. That's the important part. But, so we're off to slay the dragon. We're stuck in a, stuck in a, Little dungeon complex type thing, fighting crap, trying to get to the dragon. It was fun. It was described most old school dungeons, right? Pretty much, yes. <laughs> um, and just like marveling at the Ar- Arnesian wonder of first fantasy campaign. And yeah. <laughs> yep, that's me. One thing I think we can all agree on is the first fantasy campaign does not suffer from the lack of Blackmore material that Supplement 2 did. Ew. I think the correct term is Arnesonian. Arnesonian? Uh-huh. So what have you been doing, Jim? Oh, whew. <laughs> What Sorry. hasn't he been doing? <laughs> <laughs> I lead such a crazy life. Um, well, gaming-wise... Uh, our uh, basic expert game with uh, Angry Monk, where we got through our third session with my cleric on duty with no player deaths, and it wasn't for lack of trying. Um, we uh, Our AD&D campaign went through uh, Expedition of the Barrier Peaks again, and uh, mm-hmm. with uh, and we just were, I don't know, dude, for Killer Dungeon, we were rocking and rolling so far. We almost TPK'd once, and but managed to squeak through and ended up in the armory. As the session ended, we spent the last hour of the session figuring out power armor and laser rifles. Nice. So, And then the Rust Monster uh, character uh, didn't show, so he wandered off, and uh, I started... Uh, he would wander in and out, and uh, DM let me uh, start feeding him. I'd start picking up like little random bits of metal to feed him, and w- I'd whistle and then feed him little bits of metal. So I'm hoping if he turns into an NPC, I'll have a Rust Monster familiar when it's all over. So sort nice. of Rust Monster Scooby Snacks. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> you gotta get and, you, you gotta get a leash for him and a collar. Oh, that would be awesome. All leather, of course. Of course. He kept eating the metal the metal spikes off of it. <laughs> And uh, our Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign was uh, just last night, and uh, we had a very old-school moment where the uh, there's this tomb that we needed to get into that was sort of like Stonehenge, but when the stars line up at a certain time, every once a century, a portal opens. Well, we'd been there and gotten our asses handed to us when the stars lined up, so now we're going back, except the stars aren't lined up and we can't get in. So we run into this uh, higher-level mage who knows how to get in but needs backup. So we basically, he hired us as his hirelings. And uh, the way the DM was running this guy, he was an ass. I mean... We're camping out, and we get jumped by direwolves in the middle of the night. And while all our little first levels are out fighting for our lives with the direwolves, he's sitting by the fire getting drunk with a flask of whiskey and just being real <laughs> superior and obnoxious in general. So my character's neutral. I just started sizing him up. I'm like, okay, once we get in this place, a lot of things can happen to you in a dungeon. Okay, so is Tim Cask running the Barrier Peaks game, or is that a death? That's uh, a gentleman named Todd Moore who runs the uh, Gateway Games shop here in town. So what's going on with the OD&D game? Tim's OD&D campaign has been on hiatus for months now, and I don't know if he's going to pick it back up. Aw. That actually happened. That's a pity. Uh, Well, it's not for me not begging him to run it. Uh, Maybe the con will make him zazzy. (laughs) Yeah, make him zazzy. Maybe we should rename this episode the zazzy episode. Save or zazzy. Mm. (laughs) Um, Zazzy. Zazzy or die. 
Zod. Oh, Zod. I um, like Zod. <laughs> Zod. Kneel before Zazzy. Zod. <laughs> Kneel before Zazzy. <laughs> um, I, uh. Alright, uh, Liz? Me? What have you been doing? What have I been doing? What have well, you been doing? Oddly enough, I've been in the same basic game that Jim has been, and the two of you as well, run by Angry Mug. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he's right. We tried really hard to kill some of ourselves off the last session. Those, Although, to be fair... Those rats, they weren't, even, they weren't even giant rats. They were just regular rats. Yeah, but that, remember... The emails Shannon sent out afterwards, he was, he was doing that wrong. He admitted that he was doing the regular rats doing like 1d4 each rather than as a group supposed to do 1d4. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that does make me feel a little bit better because, you know, we're fighting all these rats. It's like, we're getting our asses kicked by Rats. And I kept asking, <laughs> now, is this one of the giant rats? No, no, this is a regular rat. It's a regular rat. Well, there, there, were, there, were some. To me. <laughs> there were some giant rats. There right, were some, but, but most of them were normal. Normal rats. Vicious sort, too. What are you doing? <laughs> so, yeah, um, we, we did that. And... Yes, been doing some non D D gaming playtesting for Mike's Victorious Game. Uh-huh. Um, longest playtested game in the world. It's it's Seven fun. Years. That's that's how fun it is. I want to keep playtesting. Well, <laughs> at least I have a rough date of November to December of this year for its publication. So. Good. So everyone keep your fingers crossed. Oh, yeah. I'm doing up a Facebook page and I'll be starting to post some freebies and other goodies there in the next couple of months. Excellent. So, but yeah, there's that. There's the 2E game. How's that going? Well, except for the halfling doing the thriller dance when we're attacked by skeletons. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and we're not making that up either. (laughs) Why? (laughs) It's technical there, there were two NPCs, or they had been created by a friend of ours. One had been created by a friend of ours who visited from San Antonio for a couple of weeks. And she, anyway, she's gone back, and another was a friend of hers. Since she's gone back, that friend's not coming anymore, so the DM is trying to run them as NPCs. Well, a couple of friends of Meads came up to play, and one of them had never played D&D before. She had played, like, console games. Uh-huh online, but she had never actually played D&D, and she took over the Halfling Thief. And she did okay for, like, half the game. Oh, but wait, then it, I've got like, this one. And then she got bored. Yeah, then yep. it's like she just, like a switch turned, and she suddenly lost interest in gaming. And so suddenly she just started having her character do these crazy things that made absolutely no sense. And you notice she never was going on. It was always when Chase would go, you know, you know, uh, Jess, what is Kai doing? And it would be, you know, eating a hard tack or eating dwarf bread or doing the moonwalk or yeah, the thriller dance. They're skeletons, and you know, and we're like, okay, <laughs> lady, so, so, if you uh, don't so, want to play, yeah, just. Bail out. There's no reason to... So she's new, so she's unclear on the concept of let's pile damage on the monsters. Well, sort of, 
but I, I don't even think that was the main issue. The, I think the main issue was, I think she just hit a threshold and yeah. maybe it's cause, and now I'm just I'm making tired. an assumption here, but you know, unlike console games, you can't just save and shut it down, you know? Right. Oh, I'm tired now. I'll go do something else, you know? Um, yeah. Um, basically ADD for AD and D. AD and HD. Extensions and hey, dice. <laughs> or something like that. But it was still a fun game. We managed to survive, Good. more or less. Um, oh, and uh, all of us are going to North Texas RPG Con, but you guys knew that anyway. Knock on wood. Knock yeah, on wood. Uh, you know. Oh, yeah, and we had four raccoon babies chased out of our attic this past week. Oh, boy. What kind of damage did they do? Well, a lot. <laughs> Their mommy was apparently a dire raccoon. I'm just hoping since rats kicked our characters' butts so bad that the baby raccoons didn't attack you. Uh, good. One of them attacked Liz with cute, but that yes, was I, I failed my save versus cute when I saw uh, the baby raccoon. Crawled up from underneath one of the soft vent hoses and just looked at her and Mew. <laughs> and it was eh. Yeah. So my and by the way, my basic group is worried because uh, Odinist is in Tim Cast's game at the convention, and they're afraid they're going to come back. He's going to come back with wondrous new ways to kill to kill us. <laughs> That's the joy of cons. Yeah. Anyway, since North Texas RPG Con is coming up, let me mention that at the you know when the con ends, our contest ends for iTunes reviews. If you've posted a review for us. We appreciate it. If not, only one more week, so get over there and do it. And Again, they- our prizes is a copy of Tall Tales of the Wee Folk and Dungeon Geomorphs. Yay. The winner gets to choose which one they get and the runner-up gets the, sec- the remaining prize. And make us laugh. Don't forget. Yeah, make us laugh. Try to be truthful. You don't have to give us a five-star review. That'd be nice, but you give us what you think we... We're not judging you based on how many stars you give us. We're judging yeah. on the on the actual review. And one of the things, if you win, totally go for the dungeon geomorphs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and you know, one thing that will make us laugh is you guys rock. Give me the damn module. <laughs> yeah, that that's right up there with it. Your show sucks and you suck. You know, it's, yeah. while that might make you feel better, it doesn't really help us improve the show if you don't tell us why or make us so. laugh. I mean, you could criticize us as long as you make us laugh. You know, you could bash us. As long as it's a funny bash, we'll be okay with it. Yeah. So, and speaking of reviews. <laughs> funny bashes. Some emails. Speaking of bashes. <laughs> yeah, well, we oh, well, these got are quite emails. a few comments, both in email and on the forums, about the Blackmore show. And I, let, let me do a Vince. <laughs> <laughs> Is that... On Blackmore or on the comments? Oh, just put it anywhere you want. <laughs> the comments of DM Glenn do not reflect the opinions of Save or Die or Wild Games Productions. That's because they're Vince's, and they do. <laughs> <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> so anyway. So anyway, let's get to some. I will say that the vast majority of them, even when they criticized, they did it politely. Yes, they did. And I think that's... I think that just shows the high quality of listenership we and have. I, and, I have a do- and I have a doggy treat for each of them. 
A Scooby snack? Yeah. I've, I've been dealing with my puppy too much here. <laughs> you you uh, like pee You like pee Good boy. Good boy. You know. A Rust Monster snack. Clank. Clank. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what do we got in the mailbag? Okie dokie. Well, our first email is from James Kofeld. Hi, James. And it's a very quick one. Uh, basically, he just wrote in with a real quick thought for a T-shirt tagline. Basic D&D. It's like the Army. Basic sounds easy. Till it whoops yo ass. Yours truly, James. <laughs> I like that. Although I think I'd probably rather have it on a coffee mug, but still, I think it's a good one. Yeah. Well, I could I could see um, Glenn's character from the you know first Save or Die T-shirt uh-huh. style. Yeah. You know, the guy with the dice bag and everything. I could just see him sort of glowering off of a T-shirt, you know, pointing straight ahead at you, you know, <laughs> and that saying totally made, that. That totally made me channel to, like, the first five minutes of the movie Stripes, where I'm just like, oh, hey, that's a good idea. We should go down to that dungeon. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Real good well, thanks for the Thanks for the comment. We are going to have to ponder that one. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Okie dokie. Um, I guess I'm reading all of them. <laughs> the next one is from DM Mothshade. And DM Moth has written us before, always has interesting things to say, so I'm, I'm glad to have another letter from him. Hi, Mothshade. Howdy, DM Moth. <laughs> anyway, he writes, hello all, DM Mothshade here once more. I'd like to start by thanking you for your coverage of a subject nearish to my heart, Blackmore. It has long felt as if I was a Blackmore fan in a Greyhawk world. I guess it kind of feels that way. From the start of the segment, I that picked... That might make another good t-shirt. What, Blackmore fan in a Greyhawk world? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten Realms world, yeah. <laughs> From the start of the segment, I picked up on either a lack of interest or downright hostility toward Blackmore. That is a shame, but it is not unexpected. During the segment, DM Jim tends to find my own voice with his insights and input. Also, these feelings ease off some as the show plays out. Personally, I find the sci-fi elements kind of fun. No, I don't usually include robots and lasers in my D&D campaign, but it has been a staple of sword and sorcery and pulp adventure. As a a fan of Carl Edward Wagner's Kane stories... (laughs) I enjoy the idea of ancient alien technology from before human history that is almost impossible to understand fully and is never completely controllable. Besides, if the original three brown books can list robots as a monster option, Monsters and Treasure, page 22, who am I to complain? (laughs) Can't help but agree about the assassin class, though. Blackmore probably appealed to me at first because it wasn't Greyhawk. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people feel that way. (laughs) Greyhawk was very high adventure, while Blackmore felt much more pulp or dark to me, a little more intimate and atmospheric. I guess it was the kind of thing I was looking for at the time. Most offerings seemed to have a high adventure feel, and anything that felt new held some kind of appeal for me, as I was still finding my voice as a DM and creating my own campaign setting. 
DM Glenn mentions a lack of description for certain monsters, but as DM Jim points out, this is a standard for the time. I'm not sure it's fair to cite this as a shortfall. I also agree with DM Mike that Minotaur Lizard was probably Monitor Lizard that suffered from misinterpretation. Oh, and oh. I... And no I, spell check in 1975. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with DM Liz about alphabetizing monsters, but it was a standard for the time. As for campaign detail in Blackmoor versus Greyhawk, I can't find any setting detail in the Greyhawk book, but Blackmoor at least has Temple of the Frog. Oh, point. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> I misunderstood the meaning behind campaign detail. There's nothing about Greyhawk, the world, in Greyhawk. Mm. Anyway, I'll <laughs> save it to the end. By way of comparison, I really enjoyed the D20 Blackmore release from Goodman Games. Overall, I'd say your coverage of the original Blackmore supplement is fair. I don't actually disagree on any particular point, but in reading the later Blackmore material, I just seem to prefer the flavor and feel of Blackmore over the many other Middle-Earth clones or fantasy Europe melange. I suppose I am a Dave Arneson fan, but I don't feel you've insulted him. Not even you, DM Mike. Grant. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to try harder, Mike. Mm. Oh, I think I, it'll happen sooner or later, don't worry. <laughs> Maybe later in this very show. Maybe. <laughs> uh, anyway, Moth continues. I've read all the stories and opinions of Arneson, and they ring true to me. Arneson was a dungeon master, not really a writer. I can accept that. The man ran a successful campaign for many, many years. I admire that. I feel that is the essence of D&D. His actual written contributions aside, I am grateful for his vision and ideas, if for nothing more than an option beyond Greyhawk. Blackmore is far more than aquatic notes and giant versions of monsters, just not in the original supplement. And this was a review of the original supplement. I understand and accept that. Of course, I am the kind of DM that can take a few interesting ideas and run with them in many directions at once. Also, the fact that Blackmore triggers fond memories of older fantasy novels, such as The Kane Adventures, or even Lankmar, really helps to build it up in my mind. Thank you for your coverage of Blackmore. As a fan, I can accept your insights and complaints. I actually share most of them. If you receive hate mail, I'm not sure it will be justified, and it won't be from me. Briark, DM Mothshade. Right on. And you know, thanks, min- thanks, Minotaur Lizards, on second, you know, thinking about it, of such typos, more monsters are made. So. <laughs> Percent liar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate his email. Um, I always felt, and I honestly can't say if it's the book itself, or maybe it's because I was already exposed to Greyhawk before I actually read the Greyhawk supplement, but I always felt like just by the rules, the magic items, etc., I got more of a feel for Greyhawk out of Supplement 1 Greyhawk. And that wasn't really there in Blackmore, which, as another email points out later on, since the magic items really weren't Black Morian to begin with, at least according to this guy's research, you know, that makes a certain amount of sense. Now, he mentions that Blackmore had always struck him as dark and, and, uh, pulpy. That's never 
that hasn't been the impression I ever got from Blackmore for some reason. It always struck me as gonzo. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, on a par, if not even more gonzo than Judges Guilds, Wilderlands. And, and it's published by, well, or, never mind. Today's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, first fantasy campaign. So, I, I guess it's just, maybe it's a matter of how you're exposed to it as much as the material itself. Well, I do think Moth has a point. Um, taking away, say, your gripe about Steve the alien. Let's pretend that there is no Steven. And, you know, just take him totally away from Temple of the Frog. What you have left is an evil temple with a band of, you know, dark religious characters breeding, you know, scores of these giant, you know, killer frogs out in the middle of nowhere. And it does have a rather dark, pulpy, Conan adventure type feel to it after that. And nothing wrong with that. True. True. But as we'll talk about when we go into first fantasy campaign, I'm not sure that Blackmore itself really had that feel, at least not to me. But no, I I would agree. You've got a point with just Temple of the Frog. Mm -hmm. Sans Steve the Alien and the Tech. Yeah, yeah, it is dark and pulpy. I'll agree with that. Yeah, on that point, you know, the the sci-fi elements, a little bit goes a long way, but it's always a nice counterpoint, and he's right. There are literary antecedents for it. In appendix in. Has but anyone no, read that those Kane novels he was talking about? Well, I don't read books, so it doesn't mean anything to me. I wasn't asking you. <laughs> I, I read the Marvel Comics version. Of Kane? Yeah. <laughs> okay, what was it? Was he a Conan ripoff? Or? Um, I, God, you're talking 40 years ago. All right, let me try and channel it. Uh, sort of, uh, it, it, flavor-wise, it's sort of more cocky uh but... Uh, uh, it's kind of the Jack Vance thing, where it's just mixed up, where it, it's a sort of magic that could be tech, and maybe is, but you don't know. And there dying is Earthian, yeah, a little bit. Ah, okay, okay. I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't like my sci-fi and my fantasy, but not straight up. You know, all of a sudden, boom! There's an alien spaceship. You don't know what the hell it is. I like it more, He-Man Thundarish, where it's kind of sort of integrated into the two. Like you said, Gonzo. Mm-hmm. Now, see, I, to me, I that wouldn't be for D and D. Now, Gamma World, you know, oh yeah, yeah, especially Thundar. Oh yeah. yeah, rock that for Gamma yeah, World. Yeah, you take that to Carcosa, you're set. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess my point is, if there's a lot of it, okay, now you've got uh, your own campaign setting that that is clearly, say, Dying Earth campaign setting or something yeah. like that. But if it's just every once in a while, or it's one dungeon like Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, it's a nice or, little, you know, it's a little pepper to go with your salt. Okay. Or for Judges Guild, the Shield Maidens of Seerun, where the last <laughs> couple of levels of the dungeon are the rem- remains of a security station. Yep. I would not read that until I got was getting ready for the show, and yeah. that was cool. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah. That's cool. That's subtle. And, yes, it, it provides, I don't want to give spoilers, but, you know, puzzle situations you have to use logic and other things to overcome. But right. it's not in your face. <clears throat> Here comes a robotic death machine down your throat. Oh. Hey, Glenn, can you drop in a bumper that says, spoilers from 20 minutes in the future of the show? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And if you look at, look at other things like uh, Tunnels and Trolls, um, he Ken comes right out and admits that magic is kind of quasi-psionic. Mm. Uh, which Percent liar. Yeah, 
He could be a <laughs> Thank you for the email. Who? Yeah, Moth. Appreciate Moth. it. Moth. Thank you. Very thoughtful email. Yes, yes. very. All righty. Damn, you made me think. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be okay, Glenn. All right. <laughs> Just rest your head after it's over. Okay. <laughs> Our next email is from Billy Green. The Reverend Billy Green? Well, he doesn't hey, say, but... Could <laughs> be. Yeah, Think of anyway. Al Green. Sorry. <laughs> Green. Anyway, he writes, First of all, I would like to start out saying thanks so much for your show. You're it's welcome. my favorite podcast about D&D on the web. Aw, appreciate it. Like that? <laughs> yeah. Even though I'm having trouble finding players to play OD&D with, I'm having a blast working my way through your podcasts on my way to work and also while I walk my dogs. When you all reminisce of earlier times, especially with the cartoons and games from the 80s, I get that feeling I used to get when I would wake up Saturday morning, pour myself a bowl of Lucky Charms, and turn on the TV for a morning full of the best damn cartoons ever made. You know, this 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 is why I wish I had a soundboard. It needs that, that uh, harp. <laughs> <laughs> Hong Kong fooey. Yeah. <laughs> There were two things off the top of my head that I would like to recommend for the show. One, mentioning some actual play podcasts, specifically of people playing the classic versions of D&D. The one I have in mind is called the Delvers Podcast. This is a family playing Labyrinth Lord. Wow. This, this podcast is set up with an old radio drama feel. I follow this podcast and highly recommend it to our fellow listeners. And two... Tips and tricks for a new DM trying to convert campaign settings, say Ravenloft 2nd Edition, into OD&D or BASIC. Specifically, how would you tackle converting monsters over, even some of these special powers or environmental settings? I think having these 2nd Edition campaign sets working with classic D&D would help create lots of possibilities and adventures. It would be a shame not to use them just because we choose to use an older rule set. True. Again, thanks for the show, and take care, Billy Green. And if you want more basic ideas from second edition, listen to Thaco's Hammer. <laughs> yes, yes. I was waiting for that plug. Um, Billy has a PS. Oh, I thought you were going to skip that part. <laughs> Do you want me to? I don't, I don't like that laugh. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. Come on. I would love for the three of you to post an actual play of yourself playing D&D. Maybe as a, but who's counting? Yes, well, my three friends and a treasured acquaintance. (laughs) 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 Maybe as a special episode for your listeners. I'm sure everybody would love to hear how your personalities would interact and play off each other. I guess she, I guess she. Funny you should mention that. (laughs) Because at the last game, which Glenn unfortunately was not able to make, we had discussed the idea of possibly Recording and making turning the Angry Monk games into actual play podcasts. Sure, I don't care as long as I don't have to edit it. <laughs> I just I don't I don't understand people actually wanting to listen to that stuff. I mean, apparently it's popular, right? Uh, yeah, it is. I, I, I mean, I, I'm I in one, of, so yeah. I mean, I I kind of understand where you're coming from, Jim. You know, I enjoy playing myself, but listening to other people playing. I, I can't do it for very long. Well, Liz, you don't listen to other podcasts. 
This is true. <laughs> <laughs> and and let me tell you, friend, there's also an, a uh, Thacos Hammer AP podcast out there you can probably listen to if you're so inclined. Indeed. Indeed. Maybe Brian, if I check a couple of those oh, also, also known as Brian's baby. Because <laughs> he does it, yes. Well, I mean, I don't mean to sound like I have any objection to it. I can manage not to cuss for an hour and a half podcast. I can do the same thing during a two-hour game. Yeah. Or well, we can just put a not safe for work yeah. blurb on the front if as far as the I two-e campaign ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to say we did an episode a while back called And It Was Advanced, which was how to directly convert advanced Viet 1 or 2e stuff over to classic. Yeah, Billy might not have gotten to that one yet. Yeah, could be, but I'll yeah. point that out for him to keep an eye on Well, there's, there's an easy way to do all of that if you want to do it truly old school, and that's just make it up as you go. <laughs> yeah. and it's not very helpful advice. As far but. as a lot of the 2E um, campaigns, Glenn may be the exception here, but you know, I don't feel comfortable commenting on Ravenloft or Forgotten Realms or anything because I don't – I haven't read them. I just – not my interest. Same here. And we've still got <laughs> Miss Stara and Hollow World to get to one of these days. That's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah. sorry. Actually, what you might do is send the same request over to Thaco's Hammer and see if they'd be willing to do something in that regard. We're already doing it. Converting it to classic D&D? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Brian's doing it the other way around. <laughs> he's, he's taking Miss Stara and converted to second. Well, well then, then there's then probably you have to an do. easy way to retrofit from there. All you have to do is reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, and you're set. That's right. And hit that 2.1 gigawatts. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you for your email, Billy. And and I I don't know if we will do the tips and tricks, but try to find the, and it was advanced, episode of ours, the right. number of which I do not remember, but that's the title of it. <laughs> and for if you want more AP podcasts, Wild Games Productions, besides the Thaco's Hammer stuff, has like, they got R5 podcast, actual plays and things like that. There's even a couple of Marvel superheroes uh, actual plays floating around there. Which so are they, do, they, they do some on Roll for Initiative, right? <clears throat> no, we, we did, uh, we, we got together and did a couple of Marvel face rip for like two episodes. Huh. And uh, it was me and Crispy and a bunch of other guys. And it was I'm already I'm already doing the bumper in my head. It's like warning: this actual play podcast contains 60% BS. <laughs> <laughs> what did I call 40, it? 40% actual play. <laughs> no, it was it was a Stanley. I call it Stanley presents the Marvel Adventure Hour. And now we're waiting to get a C and D from Stanley. So. Uh, <laughs> He's 90. He's got better things to do than CNDU. That's true. That's true. Um, and if we did get a <clears throat> cease and desist, it would just prove that he was listening to our podcast. That's right. <laughs> and he loved it, right? I'm just doing well, this. Of course. This is a knee-jerk reaction. I really loved it. But I need to <laughs> so. <laughs> or something like that. Now, I think I called Vince uh, Vivacious Vince or something like that on there. Anyway, go on. Anyway. It was uh, episode 46 that was, and it was advanced. There we go. So. You get a no prize. Yeah. Oh, a Marvel <laughs> no prize. <laughs> this pulls it out. Wow. Genuine Marvel no prize. Well, there's nothing hotter than a woman that reads comic books. 
depends on the comic books. <laughs> Could be My Little Pony comic books. That the hotness factor goes down quite a bit at that. Not point. to the not to the bronies. Eh, well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Next email. Our next email is from Jason Chapman. Hi, Jason. And Jason writes, hello there, DMs Glenn, Jim, Liz, and Mike. Hello. All right, I got first billing. Woohoo! <laughs> Here goes nothing. And Jason has a lot of questions for us. So let's, let's try to keep ourselves answers brief so we can get through this. <laughs> well, for the answers, yeah. here goes nothing, and I got most of it left. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, first he wants to know what our favorite dragon type is. And why or what draws you to that f- dragon type? Or perhaps just a favorite campaign featuring that said dragon type. Let's round robin this from Liz to Jim to Glenn to me. Oh, sure. Give me the hot one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta say, if I had to choose a favorite dragon type, it would be the brass dragon. Um, they like to talk. They're gossipy. Uh, they can be pretty selfish. I, I think personality-wise, there's a lot more, you know, that you can do with a brass dragon as a protagonist, or even possibly a NPC that could be of assistance with the right motivation. Mm-hmm. As far as other dragon types go, I, I like the brass dragons the best. Cool. Yeah. Chromatic, because when you kill her, you're only dispelling her prime material form, and she comes back, and you get to kill her again. <laughs> this is classic. <laughs> <laughs> no chromatic. Oh, uh, well, in that case, gold, because gold is a good NPC to screw with the players. <laughs> okay. Jim? Hi, right, Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> What? Jim and Glenn. Oh, okay. Blue. I believe blue's the one with the, uh, the frost breath? No. Or is it, oh, it's gas. Gas. No, electricity. Ele- there we go. <clears throat> That's even better. Corey and I discussed this on the other show. All these devious things we can do with like keeping the, his, his cave with a few inches of water so when he hits electricity it like fries everybody and things like Ooh. that. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. And he's just got a neat personality and they know, really know how to play the blues. Uh, I got a dragon in my, uh, yeah, that's the dragon in my word. Howlin' Smog. <laughs> For me, red, cause it's iconic. Beyond that, I would probably, my runner up would be a black because they're sneaky. They are. And I like the acid attacks. But yeah, on balance, red, the iconic, you know, fire breathing dragon is mine. Okay, Liz? Uh, I was first. I know, oh, but the oh, next question. Oh, we're going back to the. Okay. When I was Sorry. <laughs> it's like I just told you what my favorite track and type was. What's else again? Initiative order. It's back to you. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, anyway, continuing on with the dragon motif. Um, to elaborate, what was the dragon's lair like? And I think Glenn gave a pretty yeah. good concept of the, you know water on the bottom. Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool idea. Um, so, so, I mean, for example, did the party have to walk through a waterfall or say a command word to get in the lair? What traps were used? Did they have henchmen, retainers, or underlings? Did the dragon use spells against the party? If so, which spells? 
And did the dragon win in the end and or return? That's a lot. That is a lot. (laughs) Just answer what you think you can, you've got an answer for, Jim. Uh, Well, the reason I said gold is just from experience, actual campaign experience where, uh, we didn't know it was a gold dragon. Just we just knew this old man came up and kept pestering us on the road, and some of our party gradually got more and more, uh, you know, terse with him and started sizing him up. Can we take him? And not knowing it was a lawful good gold dragon, and uh, we uh, tracked him back to a cave and got our uh, butts kicked. So that was fun. So as and, a DM, and yes, and yes, though, spells. as a DM though, have you used a dragon? I have not. I ran more Gamma World back in the day than I did D and D. Okay. Glenn pretty much covered his with the blue. Yeah. Um, I had a red once that had a lair that was completely in an underground cavern uh-huh. with a teleport gate that led to the opening of another cave quite a few miles away. Hmm. That was part of his protection. You had to have a command word to activate the gate. So he flies into the cave, dragon hunters go to try to get him, and the cave's empty. Yeah. Because he's teleporting somewhere else. And all that golden stuff laying around. In the cavern, yeah, but not in the cave with the teleport gate. Ah, I got it. Where he slept. No, he didn't leave his gold. (laughs) Didn't leave his hoard? I thought that was like, you know, screw this, I'm out of here, I don't care about this stuff. No. No, okay. it's just he had a teleport gate so that he gotcha. could get to his horde, but other people had a much harder time. Gotcha. And yeah. he used some spells. I can't remember exactly which. One of the things I liked in an early Dragon magazine is that there was an article on Dragon Magic, which had a few spells different from the standard that were be more useful to a dragon oh, yeah. than, say, to the standard one of the ones allowed the dragon to see through the eyes of birds around his lair. I remember they used that one. Kind, of a, wi- on kind of a wizard eye type thing. Yeah, but it's through the, the local animals. Right. Another one charming the local animals to act as his henchmen. Uh, I believe there was a pack of wolves that did that, though the, part, the PCs didn't end up running into them after all because they didn't go out the same way. Right. So that was pretty much mine. Liz? Oh, I don't remember ever creating a really elaborate layer for my brass dragon. I remember it was a remote location, um, you know, kind of a sort of a scrub type area and difficult to get to. I also remember that it tended to be kind of sphinx-like in its personality, like, I'll help you, but, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to answer my question first, and if you can answer my question, then I'll answer your question. You know, kind of a quid pro quo sort of, sort of thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, since, since my brass wasn't really a foe too much, um, didn't really get into the whole thing about, you know, traps and, Stuff like that. Okay. But it was a recurring character, so I guess in that sense I could say it did return. (laughs) Next questions? Um, Did you give the dragon a name? 
It might sound like a silly question, but in my humble opinion, a name starts off on the road to personality, if that makes sense. I mean, who can forget a name like Smog, for starters? Let me tell you, this last, we fought a couple of dragons in my basic game, a green one, but they were kind of young. Once this one we're going up against, once we heard he had a name, we started to freak out. Oh man, this thing's got a name, this thing's gonna be really tough! I'm all about that because it shouldn't be a dragon. It should be the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then well, suddenly the players are like, okay, this is not just an entry in the monster manual. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. How about you, Mike? Yeah. No, I've, I've generally named dragons, at least if they're at the adult level. Yeah. Um, young Younglings have names, but they don't banter it around much. And it also depends on what their intelligence level is because mm-hmm. – a white, especially a young white, may not even speak common, so if it's got a name, you may not even know it. So, but yeah, I do agree with that. Okay. Um, I was going to ask a question about dragons, but it may be in here, so go ahead, Liz. Ask away. <laughs> uh, changing gears here, but staying with the name questioning. Does anyone or everyone have a favorite name for a BBG other than a dragon? either from a publication and or one they made up. Feel free to name as many as you can think of. Additionally, any favorite names of towns, favorite names of taverns. Yes. <laughs> Start with you, well, e, Liz. What's a BBG? <laughs> Big bad guy. Big. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, I must say, and this is from Mike's Games, um, my favorite tavern names are the the happy fill in the blank. Which I stole from Kevin McCarley. <laughs> and um, it's kind of a chain, and you go into a town, and as you go, you ride into this new town or village, and looking for an, an inn, and there will always be the happy and. Yeah, you- then you get a random monster from any of the monster books and just stick that on the end of the of the town or the end of the tavern. So you yeah. can have wonderful things like the happy oi tug and a sign with an a grinning somehow <laughs> oi tug monster, you know, beckoning you in with its little tendrils. The happy intellect devourer. Yes. <laughs> the happy umberhulk. Yes, exactly. So you have the happy random monster. (laughs) The one that that maintained itself most in one of my campaigns was called the Happy Elf. Ah. And it was in a town where elves were generally not liked. (laughs) So on it, instead of a sign, there was the desiccated head of an elf with the teeth showing in the skull. Sort of a a rictus grin. Yeah, it's like, see, he's happy, smiling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, especially when you're playing an elf or a half-elf. That's always a fun thing to see when you come into town. Um, another favorite one, and this is from a novel that Mike got me to read from, and the author's name is Eve Forward, and the name of the book is Villains by Necessity. Uh-huh. But within this fantasy novel, every town, the group of adventurers goes to, every single one 
there is a tavern called the Frothing Otter. Nobody <laughs> comments on and it. And nobody ever says anything about it at any point in the book. You just notice as you're reading through, every time they go somewhere, they stop at the Frothing Otter. Frothing Otter. <laughs> it's a fun book, by the way, especially if you're a and d gamer, because it's got a lot of in-jokes there in there from who play D&D. They've got, they make fun of everything from ElfQuest to Dragonlance to the Smurfs. Um, one point, an assassin grabs uh, one of the magic users, Crow Familiars, who gets it around the neck, puts a dagger to it, and says, one move, wizard, and the familiar gets it. Nice. From the Tom Wom cartoon from the DMG. <laughs> nice. Yeah, fun, fun book. Jim? Jim? Oh, I got nothing. I like your guys' stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Glenn. You know the unknowing sage. There you go. You, you know who you're asking, right? Okay. Let's see. Characters. Patrick Patio Rockhead. Like I said, keep it brief. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm just going to Patio Rockhead, Coney Hore, and my favorite in the Necromancer, Solomon Dry Heaps. Uh, <laughs> Towns, um, I had one town in a swamp called Sinka, and that's what it did. Um, and my fa- my favorite tavern, there's always seems to be the Bent Nail Tavern or Inn somewhere. The Bent Nail, um, that's about it for me. And that's keeping it brief. Mike? Well, Liz mentioned my taverns already. Um, as far as bad per- guys, I... There are some that I use as recurring villains, but generally in my campaign world, I don't import them into other campaign worlds. Mm-hmm. Generally, I try to make a, a villain unique to the party at hand. I, I don't always like to use rehash the same one over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I try to avoid uh, fiction. I mean, I may have a char- an NPC based on it, but it's going to have a different name, different personal habits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I really can't just name any in particular. I mean, there's Jocasta the Black. Uh, there's Scourge, the Half-Orc. Yeah, it just depends, you know, on who I'm – what the party is doing at any given time. Mm-hmm. Captain Lancaster, the pirate. Woo-hoo. Captain Lancaster. Our Yes. Would have been the so, Jack Harkness of his day if there hadn't already been one. Been one, except he was butterside. <laughs> he, he, yeah, and he did predate Harkness, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Liz. Next question. Um, well, that was um, that was Jason's last question, oh, and okay. he wraps up by saying, "Solid infotainment as ever. Keep laying it down, y'all. Sincerely, DM Jason." Wow, Thank you. we're entertaining. Yes. I already have my questions lined up for next adventure. Oh, Just no. saying. <laughs> oh, oh no! These, if, if you can, send them in little smaller bites so we can actually <laughs> give a. The bit one more thing detail. I thought he was going to ask about dragons that he didn't, and I was surprised he didn't. Is do you use true names for dragons? No, he may now. Next on the next email. All right, next to be to be continued, folks. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Any more emails? We've got one more email. And this last Oh, just a quick comment to DM Kojo. We still haven't gotten to your voicemail yet because 
Glenn just survived tornadoes, so and he's the one that downloads the voicemails. So he yeah. literally got online what an hour ago, uh, about fifteen minutes before we started this. The electricity started. He yeah. got his electricity back. It came, so. it came up. I took the dog out. I came in here and fired this up. Yeah. So next time, we promise. promise. Nothing yeah. personal. <laughs> yeah. Talk to Oklahoma about it. <laughs> so our last email is from Daniel Boggs. Hi, Dan. And Daniel writes, Hey, all. Thought it was great that you looked into Supplement 2 last podcast. Interesting stuff. Just FYI, there is a good bit of research myself and others have done on it and posted in the Blackmore forums. For started, the monk class, for starters... The monk class was Brian Bloom's creation, and he was credited with it in the preface to Oriental Adventures. Ah. Assassin yeah. was from Arneson, probably, as with many other things in Blackmore, a Gorian influence drawn from the cast of assassins in the Gore books. Gore. Sorry. Oh, my God. I didn't, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know he was a fan of Gore. Oh, boy. The Sage was actually a character class in Blackmore, but was changed via editing to an NPC class. I could see that. The Temple of the Frog is often viewed in hindsight as an adventure, a phrase you guys used several times, but is better seen as a mini-campaign setting around which a DM can structure numerous adventures. Right. Incursions by PCs are more the option than direct assault or dungeon crawls. Sorry, guys. Dave Arneson did not create Brownstein. I was waiting for that to come. (laughs) Brownstein, as it was first named, was the invention of Dave Wesley, of Source of the Nile fame. Dave Arneson was one of Wesley's players and took the concept into fantasy with the creation of Blackmore. As to what parts of Blackmore Arneson wrote, I've done a fairly extensive analysis of this on Finarvan's OD&D 74 forum. Basically, Arneson wrote The Assassin, Disease Rules, Hit Locations, and about two-thirds of the monsters, the non-aquatic ones. Lastly, you, interv- you mentioned interviewing David Ritchie, co-author of the DA series, which would be cool, but unfortunately, Mr. Ritchie is deceased. You I could, however... S- hmm? No, go ahead. You could, however, interview Greg Svensson or Dave Magari or Mike Mornard. Or, as I mentioned, Dave Wesley. All of those guys would make for a great show. Regards, Daniel Boggs, a.k.a. Aldaran. And we're going to put a link to his research on the, on Finarvan's forum in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, it's an ODD 74 Pro Boards. Um, the link is pretty long and lengthy to read out, so we're just going to provide the link directly <clears throat> to yeah. get to the download. Right. I've got an on-air Mia couple to do about this because subsequent to the last show, uh, a bunch of guys that are in my DCC campaign also play in the retro D&D league here in Cincinnati. And uh, we were out talking on a break about Temple of the Frog, and I found out that they actually, the retro D&D league, remember, they're playing every edition and every version of the game. Right. And they had gone through and played OD&D version of Temple of the Frog, and they started telling me how they dealt with that adventure. And uh, although even in the uh, first fantasy campaign, it's even 
still constructed as something that there's a point in a game where you want to have battles with armies. They just told me what they did straight up their adventuring party, which was like ten guys, and it was fantastic. It was it was as old school as it could get. They uh, wow. they showed up, and those mercenaries are all outside the the walls. Uh, their wizard had a uh, who is Caleb, the same sixteen year old that let me polymorph him into a rust monster. This, their wizard has got one of the parts of the uh, rod of seven parts. And they're trying to negotiate with these mercenaries to get past them, and they're just like, why should we listen to you guys or do anything you say? And he used the uh, power that was in the rod to just randomly open up a gate and a pit fiend stomps through <laughs> in, in front of the mercenary armies. And uh, That's why. That's uh, a convenient, a, a convincing argument, yes. <laughs> and uh, a fighter that – but he didn't have any control over the pit fiend, and another character that was in the party had a luck sword with a wish in it, so he wished it back away. And suddenly the mercenary army flipped and joined him. <laughs> you can and, summon and dismiss pit fiends at will. <laughs> so, so I, you know, my apologies. It, yeah, although I think, you know, I don't think I said anything wrong by this. Reads more like a chainmail scenario or something like that. I mean, there, the, there's a perfect example of how you know a party just walked up to it and cracked it. Mm. Well, I have to quibble a little bit. I, I'm not sure you can say it's a campaign setting. Or a mini campaign setting. I think Temple of the Frog, if anything, is more just an extensive lair. Because I don't think there's enough there to run a campaign in. Um, I will agree that it probably would work well as a long-term bad, baddie for your PCs to active, actively oppose and adventure around for quite some time. And, you know, to be fair, this is the first TSR published adventure. So a lot of things that we expect as a layout, you know, just weren't there. Right. And, you know, as we'll see with First Fantasy Campaign, even the individual adventuring they do there, a lot of what they did was also based around armies. So I, I would still maintain that it's at least partially a chainmailian-type chain adventure. Um. But I do agree with him that it, it was probably a it was it could be done by adventurers, but I think it was probably set up for all eventualities. True, true. Um, and I I I, I got to make a little. It's not pointed at him. It was to a prior email, but I think we in the role playing fandom are too easy to forgive the writing of the brown books. When we say, well, that's just how it was at the time. Right. Because if you look at the, what basically D&D came out of, miniature wargaming and especially board wargaming. Right. You look at the rules and systems that were published at the time in the exact same time period. While they're not perfect, they are a lot clearer and a lot more organized, better organized than D&D was. I, it, that's just truth. If you go look at Avalon Hill, SPI, or even Battle Line games of the era, you'll see that. So what happened to them? <laughs> well, uh, huh? Mike, we were talking offline. You're partway through John Peterson's book, Playing at the World, right? Right. Um, I, when I was reading that book, there was a sense I got that uh, as 
uh, Arneson and Gygax were corresponding and the idea of creating this high fantasy campaign came about, there were a lot of, they felt like there were a lot of other people sort of nipping at their heels. So there was some expedience and expediency uh, involved in getting yeah. these rules done. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that certainly is an, is a rationale. And I don't, and I think it's a very valid reason. I just don't think we can say the blanket of, well, it was the first thing, so, you know, you gotta forgive them a lot of things. Of course the monsters aren't listed alphabetically. Who cares? <laughs> well, what was Mike it you found? You thought I was you'd... gonna say, yeah, Mike and I were talking about this, um, earlier this week, and I remember saying to him that I had come up with a theory as to why none of the monster lists in the brown books were in alphabetical order. And, I'm dying to hear this. Okay. <laughs> well, at that time, as you may recall, back in the early days of graphic design when we didn't have computer, you know, programs to do really? layout with, we no actually Yeah, we actually typed it out and cut and paste and moved things around That's physically. Right. And I think this is just my theory here the monsters wound up being in the order that they were because that was the order that they best fit on the pages yeah. without having to cut paragraphs in half and move them over you know or you know do it as little as possible so i'm kind of thinking you know maybe that's what it was it was a layout you know, thing yeah it was a layout thing so that everything fits nicely so yeah, we'll just move them around to you know what looks best I'd ask Tim Cask about that. If I can remember to, I, I, I'm going to see if he remembers at all if that played any part in, you know, the order of monsters. Mm -hmm. And you, you should definitely be the one to ask him because he doesn't yell at women. <laughs> yeah, not yet. He'll just anyway. grumble later. You, you ask him for all of us. <laughs> and to to Glenn's defense, uh, again, reading at playing at the world. Uh, yeah, David Wesley was the one who invented Brownstein. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I mean, I guess. However, yes. it specifies in the book that when the author went to the military, Dave Arneson took over running it and ran it for quite a while. Ah. So I think it's a reasonable, yeah, I, I can see why somebody might act, might think that it came from him. Right. And also, I said on the show, I may be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. So he did. So he yep. did. <laughs> yeah. Fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm okay with it. Okay. Cool. Well, we and, appreciate the email. Yeah. Daniel was our last email. Thank you for writing. <laughs> and don't forget to write in, folks, at uh, saverdiepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call as a voicemail to 930 3763 or you remembered yay <laughs> I keep it in the notes and now let's talk about our judges guild fave first fantasy campaign on. of Blackmore on <laughs> on what section game Arch on
eating chips, Glenn. Who, me? Yeah. S- send your Frito-Lay products, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just, yeah, I haven't had anything to eat all day. Um, I'm okay. Anyway, here we are. <laughs> Here we are in games. Go on, folks. Thank you. Hit point. You just can't have one. Busting me for chips. But there's salt and vinegar. So what do you think of First Fantasy Campaign, Jim? Uh, I was fortunate to have a copy of this for a while before we decided to cover it in the podcast, so I had some familiarity with it. It's really interesting contrast to the supplement to Blackmore because uh, whatever else you want to say about it, the first Fantasy Campaign Judges Guild version is a complete campaign setting. All kinds of stuff. Um, from a campaign point of view, it's night and day. I mean, from uh, domain management back to, you know, what do you and your army do and how do you manage your resources up to, you know, rules variations and uh, you know, a, a crap ton of uh, characters and NPCs and villains and uh, personalities. It's actually a very plausible domain and stronghold system for D&D. I think my favorite thing about it, and it's really strong in this, is just the old-school, funky sensibilities that it has. I mean, you get, you get this and read it and, and run it, and you will have experienced what it was like to play OD&D in the middle 70s. Yeah. One thing I did notice, and maybe it's explained by uh, Mr. Boggs' email earlier mentioning the gore reference, makes it make a lot more sense, but... There is an awful lot of p- player characters seizing of maidens and taking them off. That's Even true. Even the ostensible heroes do this a lot. And also, you'll notice there's um, lists of things that you can purchase. Slaves are one of them. You only have one um, listing for a male slave. But you have three different listings for female slaves. I'm curious, was that Blackmore Prime or was that for the Judges Guild product? Because, you know, Judges Guild was pretty bad on that too. I mean, the female vital stat generator tables. (laughs) Yes, and not to mention the city-state had a lot of it in there. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So... Um, but which, it would not surprise me. It seems to be a recurring 70s. And, you know, I, the pulp of the time. And now I know why Arneson and Bloodslog got, Blood got along well, so well together. <laughs> well, so old school funky sensibilities and mid-70s college male chauvinism. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. Pretty much. A winning combination. Something for the liches. <laughs> <laughs> My liches. But not much for the witches. Yep, yep, yep. I like it, and it kind of ticks me off a little that when they went to do Mistara, they put Blackmore like 2,000 years in the past. Well, that is something interesting yeah. about Blackmore in that I think you could say that that campaign has been, quote-unquote, in more other campaign worlds than I think any other. Because there's been a situation set aside of Blackmore in Greyhawk, uh-huh. in the Wilderlands, in Mistara. It's in the Wilderland? Of course it is. Yeah, because, yeah, it's situated in the 
even says where in the Wilderlands map it's supposed to be located. Yeah. Well, I've given this some thought, and this is a very charming campaign setting to me, and I was trying to figure out why, and I think I hit on it, where you or I or most people would, if we set down, set out to create a campaign setting for D&D or for whatever, we would think it through and it would be, you know, have a, a mythology and history and, and it, like Gary Gygax did with Greyhawk, there would be very complex, you know, world building going on. Blackmore seems to me to be very much, it was built by the players in the actual campaign yes. as it happened. Yeah. And I mean, it comes through in this loud and clear. Yeah, since yeah. you know, virtually the entire history of the quote-unquote Blackmore is the events of what the players did or, in some cases, didn't do. I mean that that so that includes some things like you know the uh, entrance to the dungeon has a turnstile where they charge admission, you know, and the place is run oh, yeah, by elves. elves. Yeah. yeah, when the elves set it up as a little fair. And well, I like it. Well, it's, <clears throat> excuse me. As far as the humor goes. I swear to God, Arneson, if he wrote for Tunnels and Trolls, he'd be right at home. Because that's what it reminded me of, like that, uh, that yeah. chur- the church and... Uh, Mike you know, Carr's the- church, yeah. Yeah. We should have him on again to talk about his time as the bishop of the Church of the Facts of Life. Yes. yes. Where you take the good, you take the bad. Yeah. Take and them I, both, and there you have. Yeah, and, I, and I'll tell you, if I if I ever run Blackmore, which I really want to now, I'm inventing an NPC who works at the comeback inn who stands outside the door. To exit, see Lou. And Lou, yeah. he gives you his hand and he yanks you out. Five gold pieces. Five yeah, gold I was going to say, <laughs> rates very reasonable. <laughs> Enter, free. Exit, five gold pieces. Five gold, yeah. Yeah, it's very gonzo. It's it's got its its weirdness here and there. What I the found dun- really, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say what I found interesting is I, I've had some email traffic with uh, Bob Bledsoe the uh, second, uh, Bob that ran Judges Guild Son and the present owner of Judges Guild, and uh, I asked him some questions because uh, we talked about with Supplement Two what parts did uh, Dave write, what parts were sort of written by committee at TSR, and. Uh, Plus, I've heard from Tim Cass what sort of state the manuscript showed up in and how he had to sort of assemble it. And uh, Bob shared with me that uh, this uh, product was in organized, edited, and mainly written as far as the writing part goes by a gentleman named Bill Owen and a little bit by Bob Bledsoe because it showed up the same way. Dave, uh, for you know, as personable as he was, the may, maybe the greatest dungeon master ever. I mean, even Gary said he liked. It was his favorite campaign, you know, for yeah. the 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 patron saint of rule modifiers for all he had. He couldn't write, so this thing apparently showed up at Judges Guild, a big pile of disorganized notes, and they had to do the same thing for this product that they did for Supplement Two. Now, now l- l- let me ask you something. Um, With, without all the, let's add in our extra stuff. Yeah, ideas. I was going to say I did not get the impression that if Judges Guild, if the JG guys added in stuff, I think. And I'm not an Arnesonian scholar, but yeah, I got the feeling it must have it would have been a lot more subtle than what happened with Supplement Two Blackmore. Now let me ask something. Um, this was published before or after City State? Uh, after. This was yeah, August '77. At least that's when the foreword was written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bob Bledsaw even kind of says in the foreword, you know. He refers to this as you know Dave presenting the unpolished gem. 
while preserving the feel and wonder. So it kind of sounded like, you know, in a rather nice sort of way, you know, Bob Bledsaw was trying to say, you know, we had to edit, but, you know, the ideas and stuff that are presented were Dave's. Well, the picture painted by Bob's son, Bob, was that, uh, I mean, because he was old enough. Bob the Younger? Yes, Bob the Second. I, I want to say Junior, but since he goes by Second, he probably hates Junior. Um, uh, was that they were super respectful and full of admiration for Dave, mm-hmm. and that assembling this product was much more of a cooperative endeavor than obviously we know from the history of what happened with Supplement Two. So, although maybe some ideas came from Bill Owen and uh, Bob Blood, so it's more much more pure Dave Artisan, and he had final say on everything on this. But, mm-hmm. but. Was, That's why it's less piecemeal seeming, and it's a very comprehensive product. Uh, but and was, more of that sense of humor seems to shine through in this than in the Blackmore supplement for OD&D. Oh, definitely. But was City State published before or after this? You before. said so before? Okay. Yeah. Because you mentioned Bill Owen, because Bledsaw and Owen wrote City State. In fact, I believe we interviewed Bill Owen at one time. Yes, we did. He wrote Federal Manor, too. That's right. So I was wondering which one influenced the other, uh, as far as like, there's a lot of, there's, I see a lot of city state reflections in First Fantasy Campaign. Uh, like what? The slavery, the comeback in, uh, just that general feeling that anything can happen anywhere. Mm. That kind of rootsy goosey, you know, pulpish type thing. Well, you have to admit the Arnesonian sensibilities and Judges Guild sensibilities go hand in hand. A lot better than That's true. the, I guess, more high adventure, as noted earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what's that one adventure hard. with the duck tower in it? <laughs> duck tower. Oh, yeah. That duck tower. <laughs> yeah. Although, to be fair, you know, at least Castle Greyhawk had its own goofiness, but it didn't seem to really extend to the world of Greyhawk. Well, that's, I mean... From a historical point of view and just my personal interest alone, that's what I really dig about First Fantasy Campaign is that uh, whereas most people would go with pseudo-medieval tokenism, uh, this is clearly of its time. This is pure artisan. I would also say that unlike Blackmore Supplement 2, First Fantasy Campaign is almost exclusively a DM's product or judge. There's really nothing here for a player. That's true. I don't think. I'll third, I'll third that. Um, this is definitely judges only material. Mm-hmm. And it's reflect by, reflected by what they put in there. I mean, immediately you get, you flip up, the, you get the introduction, the forward, blah, 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 and you get automatically Blackmore, the campaign, and stats. <laughs> for characters, yeah. for places, and it's like, yeah, this is like, let's talk to the DMs. Yeah. Where both Greyhawk and Blackmore had more, the supplements had more of an unearthed arcana feel. I mean, to them. Uh, it was it's all, and also again, it is a product of its time. Immediately they throw the crunch up front, mm-hmm. and it's also well, typical for a judges guild product too. I was going to say that was stock judges guild, especially the the matrixes for villages and that sort of thing. Right. Most of the Wilder, original Wilder lands were put out that way. Right. Um. 
Reading this makes me think of what a shame it is that Arnest and Gygax weren't able to continue the partnership and do more things together because it's clear to me that the, the dynamic there was Gary was a rules codifier and expander and Dave was an idea guy and an a, a inherent tinkerer. That's yeah. a good dynamic. It's a, it's a real Lennon-McCartney type thing. And I don't know, but it's a pity, but... yeah. You know, I haven't seen any of the new Arnesonian stuff before his death, the Zeitgeist game stuff, but I've heard good reviews on those. True, true. Oh, if, if you, if you want your heart to break, uh, Bob Bledsoe the second told me that they were talking to Dave right up to shortly before his death about republishing this very product, and Dave wow. wanted to, to give it an edit and tinker with it a little bit, and mm-hmm. then he passed before they could get it off the ground. Wow. Kind of like with Gygax with the first few levels of Castle Greyhawk. Sorry, Zagig. And then his passing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's too. But you gotta, you gotta love the humor in this campaign set. Yeah, you do. It's mm-hmm. like I said, it's very tunnels and trolls, judges guildish, Dave type humor. Mm-hmm. Even when I don't know that a- I'd want to play in a Gonzo game like that, but it is a humorous read. Yeah. Oh, sh- oh sure, you, sure you would, Mike. Sure you would. Mm, no, maybe a one shot game, but nah, not a regular. No, you know. No, no. So I mean, you, if I want to play a goofy game, I'll play like Paranoia or or something already goofy. And well, this, this is probably a good time to say there's no right or wrong way to game. It's whatever your group enjoys. But so right, you, you're right. more to an earnest game setting. Right. I, I'm more. Yeah. I don't mind a laugh every now and then, especially if it's around the table. But and, most of the time, I like my settings to be rather straight. Okay. Fantasy. And you've got a complete fantasy world right here, ready to go for seven ninety eight. Well, I wouldn't say an entire world. Well, I'd some, say a, a campaign. A very, yeah, a very large campaign area that should keep yes. your players busy for quite some time. And of course, that was seven ninety eight in nineteen seventy seven dollars. Yes. Which would probably make it uh, about thirty dollars today. I got mine for three ninety eight. Yeah, oh, it was about three <laughs> hour, three hours work at minimum wage at the time. You're right. Yeah, that's right. No wonder it still looks so, yeah, expensive. About twenty twenty five dollars. Yeah. True. 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 That's that's the thing we got to avoid getting into the old. When I, you know, I used to buy this at three bucks. I'm like, yes, and that was an hour's <laughs> that was minimum wage. That was half hour work right there. Yeah. Anyway. So, but yeah, I mean, it was still a deal. Um, quite reasonable for, you know, the time and actually would have made it one of the pricier Judges Guild things. It would have. Judges Guild products ran from 2 to $4. Yeah. Until you got to the box sets. Box set or like City State or something like that. Well, City State was, what, 12 10 or 12 Yeah. It was World Emperor that was rather pricey. You're Has right. anybody read the later versions of Blackmore, like the Goodman Games one, the, the email guy no. mentioned? No. No. Yeah, I haven't seen the D20 version of Blackmore. I'm sorry, World Emperor was 12. City State was 8. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. 12 whole dollars, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I asked was I'd just be curious if the later versions, uh, the situation had changed in real life where the product had mellowed out, because there's a lot of neener, neener, neener in this, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some stuff in there. That Let's talk about the Agacoot, yeah. It, it reminds me of reading really early issues of the Space Gamer when Howard Thompson was the 
the publisher and editor, and he would go off in his editorship at people and other game industry people, and you're like, wow. <laughs> which, which, to be fair, just like we're having the minimum wage discussion, we've all, you know, done some of this when we were younger people. Yeah, but nowadays, if you actually printed something like that, people would be on your butt for, you know, libel. Yeah. (laughs) How dare you? My lawyer is going to contact you. you. (laughs) Well, I read that, and I thought, well, there's a story. I know there's a story behind this, and it was probably something like you wanted TSR to publish this, but they wouldn't do it. Mm. Well, there are parts of it, like, okay, you don't want, like, my magic swords rules. Well, here they are anyway. But Mm -hmm. that, but the Ega Kud is clearly a, uh, yeah. a, a campaign villain based on a uh, former writing partner. Yeah, well, you know. And, and this was around the time of the infamous Gygax Arneson legal fight. Yeah, and it, wa- and it wasn't it wasn't a good natured rib either, you know. No. You know. Oh, right. I, I mean, I'm I, I'm a cartoonist. I'll be the first one to do a satirical version of you, but this is a little mean spirited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> What's what's the Egg of Coots, uh creed that his his followers chant? Might is right, might is right. Don't give a sucker an even break. Winning yeah. is everything. Holy cow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you said, which, bitter much? Well, yeah. Which of course proves the inescapable fact that the Egg of Coot is really P.T. Barnum. That's right. Yeah, that's or it. Or W.C. Fields. I don't can't figure out which one. <sighs> egg of coot, egg of coot, it's just rolls off my tongue, you know? Well, I, what about the uh, character Rana Afu? I mean, who does that read as being based on to you guys? I'd have to reread it. Uh, I don't want to say directly because I can't entirely tell, but I, I don't know as much. I'll say, in, say indirectly. I, it looks like a very heroic self-portrayal to me. Mm, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I see. But yeah, yeah let's not whereas get the, middle the of egg that. the egg of coot is, you know, just this amorphous blob that is horrifying in appearance and the Ron is a perfect humanoid body. And yeah. his, his spells are all perfect. Yes, his spells are perfect, his body is perfect. Oh my god, you, you everything mean, is perfect. You mean <laughs> you mean Dave Ashley what, was he the one that had the city full of women that he had kidnapped? I never or was that somebody else. I, don't know. I never thought of Dave Arneson doing a Mary Sue. I really didn't. Mm. But uh, anyway, as DMs, let's talk about some of the variants from D and D that were in here, like the magic system. Ho ho ho! Um, I kind of like the idea of the chance of spell failure. You do? Although I don't think I would. I would. Uh, modify it to allow a greater level of spells. I wouldn't do that and a Vanshian magic system, because I think that's too far too pejorative, particularly at lower levels. Right, right. Well, it does but sound like know, he's trying to, you know, keep magic users from being too powerful. You know, yeah. You can only advance as a mage if you cast spells. Which but makes sense. if you cast spells, there's a chance that it's going to backfire on you, and you could yeah. suffer for that. So what's it going to be? But also, yeah. your limit to spell casting is not Vanshian. It's spell components prepared and your Constitution score. Mm-hmm. Oh, does that good? 
I would love to take this magic system for a test spin because uh, I let's see, I'm getting spanked for not talking talking about non basic games. A decidedly clever clone that's a really good, really perfect game I play. Um, has 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 a version like this built into it, and you know, you you roll the die and you make it, and your spell succeeds, or a you don't. A deftly and... created clone, you might say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you roll your, you throw a spell, you roll your dice, you take your chances, and it's it uh it spices up gameplay. And uh, it's kind of pulpy. I mean, yeah, uh, tunnels and trolls kind of kind of reminds their magic system is all based on your strength. You know, you got X amount of strength. You know, you use that to power your spells. Hmm. You know, same kind of thing. Well, GURPS does with your IQ. So, ah. although that affects as much what kind of spells you can cast too. But. It's true. So yeah, I mean that's different. They give a section in there explaining the difference between Blackborian monsters and the stock D and D monsters, which I think is kind of helpful. It gives the campaign world a bit more feel. Yeah. It's being different. Uh, expanded rules for dragons? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the orcs of Isengard and the orcs of Sauron. <laughs> I like how he gives each orc, you know, a little bit of difference, you know, depending on the tribe. But again, this just gets the feeling of what you were saying earlier, Jim, about, you know, this is just kind of a hodgepodge together rather than some grand... Campaign yeah. world with a but it but it fits but it but it et cetera, et cetera. but it yeah. holds together though yeah and he even admits as much in various sections like the whole thing about the superberries mm-hmm. oh that <laughs> was great saying, that was yeah, great we came up with superberries because we had some ho scale trees with these big fruits on them and they kept falling off on the board so we made superberries you know <laughs> it was like. I, I like little asides like that, you know, that gives you Super an insight. Yeah, yeah. As an, an insight as to how some of these things came about just because of anecdotal stuff that happened. Right. And the history of Blackmore, like we said earlier, was as much about the history of the player characters. It's also got, like you just noticed, history of the campaign players and what they yeah. did themselves, not just the characters, which is kind of cool. So a little more than just having the sort of cast named after you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Right. Although speaking, it's got rather detailed rules on magic uh, swords, too. Oh, gosh, yeah. S- sword families. Although pink, really? <laughs> sword. It's for girls. The pink, pink sword. Yeah, okay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> I just don't picture pink swords. I... Call me sexist or whatever, because even though I really shouldn't, but it's just pink, really pink. Mace Windu the same way about a plaid sword, okay? If that Mace Windu has a pink lightsaber, I don't see the problem. It's purple. Does? Well, pinkish. It's purple. He said it was purple. Okay. (laughs) Samuel L. Jackson said it's purple. You don't go against Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) Oh, that's because I am the the Jedi. Yeah. Common, do you speak it? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No, you're not. I'm just off in my head. So, pink sword's bad. Got it. Pink sword's bad, plaid sword's good. Yeah. Send your pro pink sword mail emails to <laughs> Michael Stewart. <and> <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Well, please, I don't have an address. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But by all – I mean, I never got the chance to meet or game with Dave, but everything I've ever read uh, was about what a personable uh, DM he was, and this comes through in, in the writing, like you were talking about, Liz, where there's just some fun stuff stuck in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I've heard just meeting him at a con, he he occasionally could be nasty, but that was just anecdotal from some people. All those old guys are like that. Mm-hmm. I love Tim Cass like a brother. I'd take a bullet for the man. He's my friend, but you catch him in the wrong day and say the wrong <laughs> thing, you're getting it with both barrels, you know. Fair enough. Oh, Fair enough. I don't want to do that. And Gary certainly had his ta- temper at times. Remember, Liz, Mr. I Love Dragons? Yes. Well, wow. I got to say, he was very patient up to a point, and he, he lasted longer than I think I would have. Oh, tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, tell us. Well, I mean, I hate to, I hate to say because I don't think the guy was, you know, I think he was a little slow to be polite and he, he wasn't was, all there. Yeah. And he was fixated on the dragon as a monster. And back when Milwaukee had their game fest convention and Mike and I were at the first one. Uh-huh. Um, and Gary was there and he was, you know, running a panel talking about, you know, the old days of, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. And this guy kept interrupting him, wanting to ask about dragons. Uh-huh. And he's not talking about dragons. And this guy just would not stop. And he kept interrupting and, you know, making his opinions known about how, you know, he likes dragons. And, you know, dragons are his favorite monster. And he his didn't favorite, like... His favorite is the white dragon. The white you dragon. made him stupid. Yeah, why did you do that? Blah, blah, stupid. blah. You know, and, you know, he just, he sounded like he was, you know, mentally very slow. And, you know, so it probably, you know, it wasn't entirely his fault, but... You know, it did get very wearing after, you know, a very short amount of time. And 30 minutes Gary put up with? Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, I think yeah, you know, was... Gary was a saint. <laughs> <laughs> Until that one last question. Uh, yeah. Where Liz and I are in the back trying to think up questions to raise our hand and ask to give him a chance to answer somebody else. <laughs> What can we ask him now? What's your Nobody's favorite color? <laughs> what is your quest? Yes. <laughs> What's your favorite yeah, color um, dragon? Getting back to Blackmore. Um, the dungeon levels itself, I liked Sir Fang. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. Yes. And I liked the slight difference in vampirism that he did aside from the D&D Standard vampire. I, I suck your blood type. Yeah. Uh, more the eye level drain you to death type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is more the I suck your blood type, which true. is more traditional. True, true. Um, also liked how they, if you're in a room without a window and the door's closed, mm-hmm. they can't come in unless you open the door and let them in. Yeah, you invite them in. Which is kind of a 
That's nod too good. to the old version, but yeah. it doesn't make them totally helpless because if there's a window or something, they can come in that way without your invitation. Well, that's an old, that's an old, that's part of the legend of the vampire. You have to, right. You, right. You so they're playing some, go ahead. No, I was going to say, once you invite them in, they have access to you in that room. Window, door, doesn't matter. Except that that's what I'm saying. It was a nod to that, but it didn't totally limit because if there's a window, the creature, the vampire can still come in whether you invite him in or not. Uh huh. It's only if you're in a non-windowed area. Gotcha. Like a stone room or something with the door closed that that, so it's a, it's a nod to it without really hamstringing them. Right. Well, here's something that I found very interesting reading through this and I don't know enough about war games in general to know if this came from the, you know, the Napoleonic type war game beforehand or if this is something that was a totally new idea. But in the book, Arneson talks about using what he calls chance cards and basically cards that you know, just have random events or good or bad things that can happen to you. That was a stock miniatures war game. Okay, yeah, because I, I just thought that was, yeah, I thought that was really neat. And it's like, you know, I I don't play war games, so I don't know if that came from that or not. But I think that's kind of an interesting idea to incorporate into an RPG. Right. And they provided the cards in the book, too, Mm -hmm. which was kind of nice. They did. Go directly to Blackmore Dungeon. Do not pass go. (laughs) Though I must admit, the, the dungeon itself, on the one hand, I like the fact that it had quite a few empty rooms. Mm-hmm. That's an old school paradigm you don't see much of. Yeah. Uh, on the other, I felt that the rooms that were there were rather unimaginative, at least as far as how it was listed. And, and I know any DM worth their salt can take 20 bugbears in a room with a jug of alchemy and then <laughs> make something good out of it. But, you know, I, I just wish a little more meat had been provided there. There yeah. might not have been more provided. I mean, you know, that may be all that Bledsoe was given to publish, you know. True. And looking at, I have seen some of Gary Gygax's notes for his adventures, and most of them tended to look that way. Really? Just extrapolated, yeah. It was room number, monster number, monster's number, and treasure. And he just extrapolated from there. Yeah, you go for, you know, you do you, you do the rest. Right. Yeah, and here's if the you're shorthand. an experienced DM in your own campaign, that's pretty easy to do. Oh, yeah. One but orc. Okay, I give him a piece of pie to eat. <laughs> He's a what? Pie. <laughs> One orc, I give Sorry. him a piece of pie to eat. Monte Crypto. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. To the touch. Yeah. Well, I got a question for you guys. Uh, I mean... I, I get caught up in these things like reading this as a historical document, as a, as a feel for the campaigns of their time. You know, what was OD&D like to play back in the day? This is fantastic. But would you actually, in an OD&D, it's 2013 and you're, you've decided to run OD&D, would you personally use this as a campaign setting? Yes. I think it would be fun. I've got Like the, as I've opposed got... to, uh, I don't know, Mistara or something. Yeah, sure. I got the book. I got two maps with it. I go. How about you, Mike? Possibly. Um, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I'm not a huge fan of published campaign worlds anyway. I much prefer my own. Um, I would probably 
do some fleshing out of the dungeon levels. Mm-hmm. I do like the campaign and uh, the Dominion and Stronghold rules, and I've already considered importing those into my D and D. Whether it's regardless of the campaign world, I think a lot of those rules are pretty cool. Um, the actual setting, eh? I might steal bits here and there, but no, I, I don't think I would actually use the setting in its entirety. Right. Yeah, I'm with you on the stealing bits and pieces because uh, I think I like the domain management a little better than Mincer. Yeah, yeah, and it's a lot less math-oriented <laughs> and has a little more freewheeling feel to it. And some of the NPCs I might use, I really like the Blue Rider. Um, hey, get me out of here. That was- <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, stop, run away. So, Liz, could anybody from your home's campaign wander from Port Town into Blackmore? I think they could more easily wander into Blackmore than they could into Mistara. Um, I, again, I probably wouldn't use it completely as is, but I, I think there's a lot in this first fantasy supplement book that I could see myself using. So, yeah, I'd be more likely to use this than, say, Mistara. It's kind of like the the Judges Guild Ready Rough Sheets. There's a lot of tables and rules in here that you could plug and play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And to an extent, simply by what tables are provided is an indication of the flavor or the background of the campaign. Right. You know, so I think just in that, it's got some pretty good, good stuff there. Right. So, anything else anybody want to hit, or we want to go into products of your imagination? I got nothing. I shot my wad. How about you, Jim? I'm ready for products. Yeah, right. let's, let's go to products. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. They're the Cheetos! They're right next to you. Well, all you do is we play the characters we talked about earlier when we run around and stuff. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. I'm attacking the darkness. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. You're not there. You're getting drunk. Products of your imagination. And here we're going to be discussing it as a published item, a product, both as a historical item of its time, and generally compared to today. Now, I know to a degree that's like apples and oranges, as has been pointed out in some of our earlier emails. But, you know, there's quite a few people who weren't around in the 70s or 80s who play classic nowadays, and Mm -hmm. they may want to know what they're getting themselves in for. Personally, I like apples. So, So, Jim, as the... One of the artistic three. How come there aren't orange dragons? Never mind. Uh, Actually, I think there was a dragon magazine where there were, but anyway. Oh, I'm sure somewhere there's one. Uh, (laughs) You know, looking back, I I get caught up in nostalgia for the old Judges Guild products just because I came up in that time, and uh, we loved them even with the, um, The you know, the, 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 you know, the, the unpainted covers and the sort of, uh, what would you call it? Newsprint uh, pri- paper? Primeval type setting. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, given all, I mean, given like what the baseline is for Judges Guild, it's obvious that first fantasy campaign got top drawer treatment for Judges Guild because it's, it's got a lot uh, nicer pagination and uh, a lot uh, better laid out than was the standard Judges Guild product of its day. So in in, uh, in and of its time, nice solid product, and you can still pick it up and read it today. I need my reading glasses to read it today, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was saying that to Mike earlier, it's like. Wow. One, yeah. <laughs> one con- yes. One constant about Judges Guild products is if it's, it, the best parts are usually the maps. They're always of great quality. And this has great maps in it too, but this is the first time I've seen the actual book match the maps in quality and, you know, layout. And nice. Things. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to tell, well, next time you talk to Bob, the second, uh, I assume Pixie Bledsaw was uh, his daughter, uh, Bob's, and uh, tell her that the front cover really don't work. It really don't work. <laughs> Can you elaborate? Well, I, you guys got the PDFs, right? Yes. Okay. The cover, we have a hard copy, but it's shrink wrapped, so we. Okay. Don't. Well, if you notice that it's brown, it's one. Of, it's a brown cover, kind of like the three original books, that kind of feel. Only it's larger size, which is nice. But they've got this um, looks like derogatype of a valley, and then they overlaid some other picture and all the text in red. Yeah, the red text on and the damned if I can cover read, is. <laughs> damned if I can read that all of it. I can just barely make out the first fantasy campaign and Dave Arneson and Judges Guild. And it's like, what? Uh, okay, whatever. The the inside's better, so <laughs> that's my one critique of the cover. And anyway, Liz, <laughs> help me out here, please. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, well, since since you talked about the cover, let's go to the inside page where I think I see a nod to the uh, first edition of the AD&D books. Oh, yeah. In the yeah. layout. Big time. A little in your face. <laughs> a, l- a little uh, take that. <laughs> and, uh, and as far as like, the, you know, the, the general artwork on the inside, it's, I don't want to say typical Judges Guild because I think that's going down. <laughs> But I think it's very well thought out, and um, and then, like I said, this is a quality product, and they they, they plussed it. They really plussed it, and I like that. I think those maps and some of those maps you're talking about were actually uh, hand drawn by Dave Arneson. Oh, I don't doubt it. I would. I forgot about. Oh, I forgot about the maps in the book. I was talking about the two maps that come with it. Um, yeah, yeah, they look like they are. I mean, this is old school. Sit down with a graph paper and a pen and go to it. You know, draftsman type stuff. It's really nice. Talking about the quality of it, I noticed that there seemed to be, on average, less typos than in the standard judges' guild product. Yeah, that's true. Which is minor. You know, even the best judges' guild product. Help gaming stuff today has typos in it. Oh, Generally, yeah. it's it's only a minor annoyance. You know what they meant, even if they flip it. This is true. But yeah, this falls into the taking more care. I think they did. What's funny is since I go back to the paste-up days, I can see where they put something down that had been waxed and it scooted a little cockeyed, <laughs> yeah. which, is, which today we don't see because it's impossible to do in a computer except on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. What blows me away is that pattern of areas within a 10-mile hex. 
And wow. <laughs> what about the layout of the organ the organization of the material? Liz Well you know, getting back to the overall appearance of the Judges Guild products, um, something that you know comes to mind whenever I look at the old Judges Guild stuff is it's like looking at a fanzine. Yeah. And you it's it's those it's the old, you know, I'm doing fifty copies on a mimeograph and I'm mailing it all out to everybody, you know, like an APA or something. Uh-huh. You, know, you just get that same feel looking at the Judges Guild stuff. And I think that's part of the charm of the old Judges Guild stuff. I just get this nostalgic you know, glow whenever I look back on them. Yeah. It's, it's, that, it's that grassroots love of yeah. the and the material. Um, but as far as, you know, how things are, are laid out, um, there's, in a sense, there is some gathering of like things together, but not entirely. So... I, I can see that you would be flipping back and forth, but to get to, you know, one thing or another, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, you have, say, price unit ratio list on page four, and then you have another kind of price list on page 11. And, you know, it's like, well, why not have all your price lists together? It would seem to make more sense. But... um on the other hand, you have all of your notable NPCs together for the most part. So there, there was some, you know, attempt to place like, you know, subjects together. But Modified I think, monsters. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I, I, I think, I think they could have done more, but there was an effort that was obviously made, and. You know, more so than in some other products that we've reviewed in the past. Right. So. I'm looking at the contents page. Dragon, orcs, bandits, nomads. Ooh, that's not alphabetical still. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, 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 nope. (laughs) Almost, but not quite. (laughs) All right. Well, anything else? We're going to go right to dragons. Well, I just want to say that this product as it was produced is worth the seven ninety eight that it was list price. Some Judges Guild products I think uh, I'd probably half for this, but this one, yeah, I'd pony up the eight bucks for it. No problem. Twenty five dollars today? Probably. I believe it. Okay. Probably. And it's worth every I think it's worth every penny. Well then how many dragons would you give it? You give it four and a half. Leave a little wiggle okay. in there. Jim? Um, I always struggle with this. I mean, in, in the context of its day, I give it a five. Uh, I'll go, I'll go with four. Okay. Well, as I've said before on the forums and everything, when we give dragons, I mean, that's the most subjective part of the whole show. I mean, you know, it's. And it all comes down to personal opinion. Right. right. This is just our opinion. Hopefully I mean, if you've at least given enough information that the listeners can make their own decision. It's uh, I mean, it's well worth having because obviously I have it. Mm-hmm. Liz, I would also give it four dragons. You know, I gave the Blackmore supplement three because, as I said at the time, you know, 
for its narrow niche, I would find it very useful, but it didn't seem as though I could go very far with what was in the Brown Book Blackmore Supplement. Right. This, the first fantasy campaign, there's a lot more I can do with the Blackmore presented here. So I give it four dragons. Okay. I'll give it three and a half. Oh, how so? <laughs> You're such a hard ass. No, to me, a three is a good, is a decent product. It's a good product. I mean, it doesn't knock me out of the park, but you know, it's not bad either. Three and a half, I'll say putting it above that because I think there's some good parts here. Um, though I will admit it, what appeals to me more is from a historical perspective. Mm-hmm. The estate of the hobby at the time. There are some good parts in here, as I've said throughout the review, that I would definitely dig. Yeah. So. Three and a half, which will average shit to a four out of five. Yay. Good going. And Maybe that should... is Blackmore 2, Electric yeah. Boogaloo. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should try for ten drag a ten dragon spread sometime. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> My brain Our would four, explode. Seven point six two three dragons. <laughs> Yeah, for, no, I don't think we want to go there. Except for the Russian I, judge. Yeah. I want to do more Judges Guild shows because we didn't cover some of the ground we intended to cover. And That's there was right. a, there was a magic a weapon that was like a flying tear that automatically came back if it didn't strike. And if it did strike, it popped you in the forehead and started draining your blood. There's some oh, yeah. good Judges Guild yeah. stuff the, out there. Or when he was asking about dragon in, encounters in the city state, there's the little old man and his pet dog. Oh. Yeah, the little beggar who ends up being a grandmaster of flowers, and his friend, the gra- the gold dragon, ancient gold dragon, who's polymorphed into the little dog. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, it's an old guy. Let's mug him. <laughs> yeah, you do that. So, uh, if listeners would like to say have Bob Bledsoe the second on the show, write us and tell us, and we'll go. Raise your out. hand. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and we can do. Yeah, this show pretty much ended up being Blackmore too, though it originally. The idea had been Judges Guild too, though we got a lot of Blackmore feedback and everything. So well, that's all right. We did turned it. into first fantasy campaign. But if we can get Bob Bledsaw the second on, maybe we can do a second Judges Guild show. Maybe or third or fourth. Well, we got to do second before we can do a third and fourth. Yeah, this was our second. This was our second. That way, I I, th- I think. Yeah. And I Bob Bledsaw the second on our second Judges Guild show. That would yeah. be very. The, the number Zen. two show. But I consider this our second Judges Guild show. All right, fine, I give up. <laughs> never City mind. State as, never the mind. Invincible Overguest. As yeah. we head down the dusty road outside the City State of yeah, the yeah, I'm just... Lord, toward Lake Gloomy. <laughs> How are we traveling, Liz? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to be traveling with... The Blue Rider, because he is, of course, a hero. <laughs> of course. Make sure as you're not he, being... As he abducted. whispers sweet nothings to me along the lines of, hey, how do I get out of this? <laughs> is there a button back there you can turn off? <laughs> Jim? Oh, dude, I am definitely down at the entrance to Blackmore Dungeon at the turnstile buying one of us each a ticket to the dungeon. Sweet. <laughs> I'll pay for the buttons when we make it out the other side. Okay. Glenn? You mean after I roll my eyes or just Jim Jim just said? Okay. Uh, I'm going down the road grumbling, but I just stop at the comeback in and yank whoever wants to come out, out. 
I am staggering down the road like a zombie, constantly giving the refrain of my lord and master, the Egg of Koo. Robot zombie? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Atomic robot zombie. <laughs> Atomic robot Rob zombie. The best kind. And that will end our show. Hope you've enjoyed our look at First Fantasy Campaign, Blackmore 2. Thanks for listening. Good night, everybody. Good night. Free arc. The Save or Die podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Save or Die theme is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. Nine out of ten DMs surveyed recommend this podcast for their players who listen to podcasts. Listening to podcasts over four hours in length is not normal, and you should consult a physician or at least a damn good psychiatrist. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.